This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 204 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Lindsay McCall from Jupiter, Florida. And this is Susan Trevis from Winters, California. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show brought to you this week by the United States Para-Equestrian Association. We also have our producer, Glenn, with us. Hi, guys. Hi, Susan. Been a long time. Yes. How are you, Glenn? Good. <laughs> of course, Susan, we spent a lot of time with Susan in the lead-up to the 2010 World Equestrian Games. She was our spotlight para-rider. So, oh, yes, those were the days. Yeah. We, we, uh, you know, I was just talking to Samantha, who was my co host, Lindsay, for the 2010 radio show about WEG. And yeah. uh, Samantha now hosts the eventing radio show. And we were just talking <laughs> about one of our favorite memories was some, the time we got to spend with Susan at WEG, just hanging out. Aw. It was one of my favorite memories, too, Glenn. I have a picture <laughs> of uh, your horse and Samantha and I on, our, on my wall here in the studio. So. I know that picture is kind of famous. It's made its way around the internet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's the only time Samantha and I looked good in 16 days. So that's what. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, Susan, it's nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a little while. I know you were pregnant the last time I saw you. And what have you been doing the last, uh, I guess, year and a half since, I guess, WAG, <laughs> 2010? <Yeah. laughs> well, um, as you saw, I was pregnant, <laughs> showing <laughs> last March. And our son was born, Logan. He was born in, in August. And otherwise, I have just been... Um, running our horse training business with quite a few clients and uh, we have about 65 horses and um, I'm preparing a young eight-year-old stallion to try out for the 2014 white team and I'm currently showing him third level. Wow that's amazing that, that's great so what are where do we expect to see you next? Um, I'll be showing in all the open divisions for third level here in California, and we'll try for state championships here. Um, and then in addition to that, I'll, I'll go ahead and try to get my WEG qualifying score at the CPEDI here uh, in Northern California in June. Nice. It's nice to finally see a, a, another show out on the West Coast for you. I know logistics have been an issue for, for West Coast versus East Coast because the travel Going back and forth with the horses is very difficult, so it's pretty exciting for you. Yeah, it'll be nice to have have a show of this magnitude on our own home turf. After this commercial, we're going to have Christy Waisaki. She is a S judge here in the United States, and she also happens to be one of the few uh, three-star international FEI para judges, also from the United States. She's quite an accomplished rider and um, also an accomplished breed show judge. I'll be talking to Christy about her experience in becoming an FEI para judge and also her experiences in seeing uh, FEI international para riders in Europe and comparing their riders to our riders to see where our riders need to go. Glenda Geek here. You know, I get asked all the time by horse people, I want to build my own website. What service should I use? Well, there's only one service I recommend without hesitation, and that is Squarespace.com. If you're looking to build a website for your horse farm, training business, boarding stable, or personal rider page, or maybe even a blog, and you want to do it yourself and end up with a professional-looking website, then there's only one place to go, Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy with one of the simplest do-it-yourself interfaces available. You choose the theme you like, and then you just drag and drop the elements you want into that theme and start adding your pictures and content, and off you go. Plus, they give you 15 days to try it with no strings they don't even ask for your credit card 
If you sell things, they even have an e-commerce solution. Plus, your new website will integrate with Facebook and Twitter like a dream. I've been using this company for years and have recommended it to dozens of horse people. No matter what your skill level, Squarespace is for you. Give it a try for 15 days free by going to horseradionetwork.com and clicking on the Squarespace banner on the right side of the page. Horseradionetwork.com. Click on the Squarespace banner on the right side of the page. Christy, so you are, not only are you a large F able-bodied dressage judge, but you're also a three-star para judge. Is that correct? Yeah, the correct um, explanation of that would be I'm a U.S. Equestrian Federation S dressage judge, and I'm an FEI three-star para dressage judge. Okay, and... Um, what would you say is probably um, the, what was the largest learning curve for you going from not just being an able-bodied dressage judge, but also now working on getting your international FEI para-dressage credentials? Um, I think the biggest learning curve was to realize that there really isn't that much difference in the two and that you have to remember that, that they aren't different, and not to judge them differently. And so when you mean that, I mean, how would you compare, um, for instance, you know, how do you judge the grades in the para-dressage judge versus the levels in able-bodied dressage? Well, unfortunately, the U.S. Equestrian Federation in their efforts to try to um, include the para-dressage into their shows, um, they have a process where they, um, for any type of FEI test, they uh, equivalate it to a USEF level. And when that was done with the para-tests, it, um, uh, it gave a misconception as to the difficulty of the para-tests. For example... The grade 1A level, it's um, considered a introductory level test in the USEF system, and it isn't even in the same realm as the introductory level test. The, walk, the work in grade 1A, the walk work is more difficult than the walk work in the Grand Prix test. Oh, wow. And so that's, and- been, a, that's, been, a, that's been a confusing factor that's caused a lot of problems in the whole system for riders, trainers, and judges. Because if they look at the rule book and go by the rule book and say, okay, if I ride grade 1A or I judge grade 1A or I teach grade 1A, they have to be riding at the caliber of introductory level. And that is very, very incorrect. Right. So do you think that that actually then is a problem with crossing over for some of the able-bodied judges judging para riders? So when they come in and do, for instance, a 1A test, they're looking at a, a, they're looking at it as the equivalent of an intro test. So they perhaps might score the rider inaccurately in the horse. It has caused confusion. And, right, I mean, most able-bodied judges don't have much training in the para-dressage in judging it. And so when they go to the rule book and see that, that's really their only um, indicator of how to judge the test. And so it has led to some erroneously high scores for some of these riders that then when they go and ride in a CPED, in an actual FEI-recognized competition for paradressage, they get surprised because their scores aren't anywhere close to what they were getting. And um, the, para, the USEF Paratechnical Committee right now, we're working on revising that, so that problem will go away because it's yeah, really led to confusion. And I've actually personally um, had that experience myself showing in the para tests versus the um, able-bodied tests. If I show an able-bodied test, I usually get scored quite accurately. But then if I show the para tests for that same judge, 
I have gotten, you know, quite good scores. And then exactly as you said, the next week go out and get a sometimes 10% lower <laughs> at a CPE right. and that's, Unfortunately, that's been caused by a lack of education. We're trying to improve upon that. At the, the USEF Judges Forum this year, um, there was two and a half hours dedicated to paradressage, and um, that was the main focus that was presented at that forum, that um, people really need to pay attention when they're judging this, that these are FEI-level tests, and that the equivalencies in the, in the USEF rule book really should only be considered from an entry standpoint only and not from how you judge them. We must judge them at FEI level requirements. And I think um, it, there were 150 plus judges at that forum and, and I think um, it helped a lot in the, educa- in the beginnings of educating our national judges. And so in addition to them being actual FEI tests and should be written to that FEI standard. Is that you're saying that's true also as for the quality of the horses? Absolutely. Like what's the quality of the horse you would see at that? What would be the quality of horse? Because I think you just got back from a trip to Europe, correct? Yes. I was in Belgium this last weekend at a very large um, CPED competition that had riders from all over Europe. And then there was, um, one a uh, couple of riders from Israel and a rider from Australia also there. So what was the quality of horses that you saw at those competitions um, and sort of then compared to the horses you're seeing here in the U.S.? The quality of the horse is going to be dependent on what the rider wants to achieve. If the rider is getting started in the paradressage, then they don't need as high of a caliber of horse as a rider who says, I want to go to Normandy to the World Equestrian Games for para dressage, or I want to go, <clears throat> excuse me, to Rio de Janeiro in 2016 to the Paralympics. It's the same thing as someone who wants to learn to ride Grand Prix and gets a schoolmaster. They're not going to get the same horse that Stefan Peters is going to get to go ride on our Olympic team. And if for our riders that want to compete at the Paralympics, they have to get high-caliber, high-quality horses. That's, that, that's the only way they're going to be competitive. Because um, the and quality ha- of horses out there is phenomenal. Right. So how do we bridge that gap here in the U.S.? And then also how do we end up bridging the gap between what we're currently scoring and what we would need to score if, for instance, we were to be competitive on an international level? Uh, we have to ride better, and we have to get <laughs> higher quality horses. <laughs> it, it Sounds easy. That. It's, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's not easy by any means, but it is simple. The, ca- the quality of the horses have to be uh, Olympic-level horses. And the quality of riding has to be Olympic-level riding. And do you see that that, um, open show judges can have a role um, in sort of facilitating, bridging that gap with helping our para riders develop? Um, Well, I think the judges forum that we had in in March was a, a first, um, step in the right direction. There were over 150 judges there, and um, it was quite an eye-opener to many of them. We started by showing a video of a 1A ride that uh, most of them were wanting to give the rider seven-plus scores, and yet the horse was never even on the bit. And by the time we worked through the different... Um, they showed four different 1A riders, uh, and the final ride that we showed was the winning ride from the 1A uh, Paralympics in London, where the horse got about an 82%. And when the judges saw a real 82% compared to what they had been giving, they realized that it, it is a different game. It is real yeah. dressage. It's not <laughs> Chrissy, can you? Riding. 
Exactly. I and hey, it's Lindsay. <laughs> I I'd love you to kind of touch about touch on how you are judging uh, these riders, these para riders, because a lot of people are misunderstood that they think, oh, well, you know, we're not looking at the horse at all. We're just looking at the rider. But you're also judging the horse. Can you talk about some of those technical requirements within the test that you are actually judging as a judge? Well, and actually, to your comment, you're also judging the horse. You're really only judging the horse. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I usually don't even notice the rider's handicaps because I watch the horse. Right. And um, sometimes in some of the training sessions and stuff I've been in, <clears throat> when the instructor has mentioned something about the rider that don't get focused on that, I hadn't even noticed the rider had had that particular problem. And that's what wow. you have to do when you're judging it. You have to judge the ride, not mm -hmm. the rider. And what you know, whether the rider is basically laying down on the horse's neck, or if they look like there's there they have no disability whatsoever. Some of them you would never know. Mm -hmm. um, you have to judge the ride. And the mm -hmm. thing that people have to remember is the grade that a rider is placed in when they're classified. They're classified based upon their physical disability not based upon their riding ability. So right. their ability to ride is a totally separate subject. And if they get classified in a particular uh, grade, but they're not a very good rider, they may not do very well at that grade. Mm -hmm. Because their classification and what grade they're put in is based upon their physical disability, not based upon their capability to ride. Mm -hmm. People have to remember that. And when yeah. you're judging, the the grade 1A is only walk, but it's mm -hmm. harder than the walk work in the Grand Prix test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, with the Grand Prix test, you only have a small amount of time that you're required to walk. And with the grade 1As, you're walking the entire time. And what is it like as a judge to, to see that and, and have to know the differences in between the walks? Well, you really, you better know walk rhythm well, because that's <laughs> huge. Um, the, the rhythm is comes first in anything that you judge. That has to come as the foundation of the score. So it, you better be good at judging walk rhythm, because some of the horses, it's really interesting. There was one horse in Belgium this weekend that its walk quality ranged anywhere between a four and an eight, depending upon oh, the wow. moment. And let me tell you, that makes it challenging to figure out what score you're going to give it wow. when it's changing that much. And some of the better walks are the easier walks to um, interfere with and cause issues with, and that's exactly what was happening with that horse. Chrissy, have you found that um, this process has fine, sort of given you a finer-tuned look at things like the walk and the trot and rhythm? as a judge on the whole or, or were you, did you have that ability to see that before you started your para judging credentials? And so that's why it's been, you know, that you've become a, that you're working on getting your higher para classification to judge the bigger shows. Um, the, when I got really good at judging rhythm of the horses was when I became, I'm also a dressage sport horse judge uh, and the rhythm is, is the entire crux of that situation. So that's when I really started to pay attention to the rhythm and get much better at watching the rhythm because that is that is 95% of what you're doing when you're judging those horses. So what would your advice to other judges um, be, you know, as far as... Um, how would you advise them to start judging uh, para riders in open shows or if they wanted to um, proceed and get their FEI credentials to judge C-Petties and things like that? What, what's your, how would you get them started? Well, the main thing to remember when you're judging these rides is there's nothing different. It's dressage. And it's FEI dressage, and you have to judge it at the caliber of FEI. 
And if you do that and you simply judge what you see that the horse is doing, you will give them a correct score. Uh, but if you start looking at what the rider is doing or what kind of aids they have or what kind of bridle they're using and that kind of thing, you're not going to focus on what the horse is doing. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on what the horse is doing, you'll put them in the right place. And it's, it's the same thing. It is dressage. And I think people get confused when they try to make it something different. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't. It just happens to be a rider that has a, a uh, handicap of some sort, a disability that they, that they have to deal with in their riding. But you don't judge that. You judge the right. ride. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, S judges in the United States are eligible to apply to the FEI to become... Um, FEI para-dressage judges, you must be an S judge because you must have judged pre-St. George. And the Mm -hmm. reason for that is that they are FEI-level tests. That's why it's only open to S judges, is because it is FEI-level work. Yeah. That makes sense. And what's next for you, Christy? Where Where are you off to next? Uh, well, I just came home from Belgium where I um, spent the weekend with about four mentors um, working on my promotion for my four-star with the FEI. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I basically will spend the rest of the summer bouncing all over the United States judging shows <laughs> from the East Coast to the West Coast. <laughs> so Amazing. <laughs> What will that um, four-star credential enable you to to judge? Uh, well, like, for instance, the, um, a show that is a WED qualifier, to be on the panel as a three-star, they have to have a minimum of five judges, whereas if they have uh, four stars and above, they can do it with three judges. So you mm-hmm. can judge a higher caliber shows. I see. And for the Europeans to ask you to judge for them over there, they they're pretty much not going to bring anybody over unless you're a four star because of the the they want the experience. Yeah. Because the you know para dressage is is in my opinion is probably the growing faster than any other equestrian sport there is right now. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. hasn't really jumped on the train yet. We're kind of running mm-hmm. after the caboose, trying to catch up. And Europe <laughs> yeah. is off and running. I mean, it's a serious thing over there. The the sponsorships they had for that show were unreal. The quality of horses they had. Um, Holland had 10 horses there. Belgium had eight horses there. There were um, two people from Israel that each rode two horses. I mean, there were... It was big competition. The Brits weren't there at that particular show, but um, it's it, they're taking it very seriously and they're working very, very hard at it to get. Re- and they're mm-hmm. super riders, really super riders. And our riders are gonna. Ha- we've got some catch-up work to do. Yes, <laughs> we need we need more more judges, more more people like you, and more trainers, and a, a lot more riders. <laughs> Well, the whole system in this United States, we we we're behind in our education of how it works, and and we're probably where Europe was ten years ago in our understanding yeah. of it. And for yeah. us to catch up with them, we're going to have to we're going to have to work really hard in the next two to four years. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think we've got potential. We've got some riders with a lot of talent, and um, if we can get them with the right horses and with mm-hmm. really good training, I think mm-hmm. it's doable. But they're going to have to work very, very hard. Yes. It is an Olympic sport. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think that everybody has to remember. It's It's the Olympics. Yep. 
It's it's well, it, it's more difficult than going to regionals. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And we yeah. sometimes don't take it that seriously in this country. Yeah, I I get a lot of calls from para riders trying to break in in the sport, and it's amazing, you know, the groundwork that I'm having to do to educate the riders, um, as far as the quality of training you have to have the quality of riding you have to have, the quality of horse you have to have. Um, and that just because you went to an open show on the weekend and got a 75% does not mean that you're going to go to a CPEDI and get that score. In fact, I keep telling them expect at minimum 10% less than what you get at an open show, unless you're in front of an actual para judge, because that's just been my experience. Yeah. I think that's um, going to improve because we're starting to educate the judges, too, and we're also working on modifying the rules so that they're not so confusing with the equivalency issue. I, yeah. so I think that will improve from that angle. But um, yeah, the other thing that people really have to remember is just because I'm a para-rider doesn't mean I'm going to the Olympics. Right. I have, <laughs> I'm going to have to work really, really hard, and I'm going to have to ride and get super training, and I'm going to have to work out, and I'm going to have to yep. be as physically fit as I can possibly be, and I'm going to have to find sponsorship, and I'm going to have to have a really quality horse, and it's it's more than just because I'm a para rider, I can go to the Paralympics. It's not that way anymore. It right. might have been 15 years ago, but it's not now. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I ride Grand Prix, but I'm not going to be on our Olympic team. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. It's, we have to. We have to remember that. And if they do want to try to be on the Paralympic team, they're going to have to work as hard as Stephen Peters does. He works out right. three, four hours a day, rides six horses a day, has a psychologist, has a, a, a um, coach for his work. You know, for his um, physical workouts, that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's not just that you ride your horse for a half hour a day and you're ready to go. Right. There's a lot more to it than that. Right. Well, we thank you for your time today, Christy, for coming on the show, because I know you just literally landed from coming back from Europe. So, <laughs> so thank you so much, and your insight has been amazing and wonderful, and I think you explained it quite well. <laughs> And thank you for your dedication, too, to oh, the sport. Well, it's, it's, it's worth it. I, we've got a lot of riders that have got a lot of potential, so we've got uh, to figure out how to do it the right way in this country so we can be successful. We've got the potential to be successful, mm-hmm. so, but yeah. we're going to have to work hard. We, it's not yeah. going to land in our lap. All right, right after this commercial, you're going to want to stay with us because we have Gil Merrick coming on our show, and he's going to be talking about a couple of things, such as team building, and his expertise goes all the way back to when he was the former USEF High Performance Dressage Director, and he was also the team leader at the 2006 World Equestrian Games in Aachen, the 2007 Pan Am, and 2008 Olympic Games for the dressage team. So he has some great insight onto team building, pipeline, and maybe even some scouting. And he is also part of horseshow.com. He's a big part of that. So he's going to give us a little insight on that as well. Hi, all. Glenn the Geek here. And we're excited to bring you a special offer for Horse Radio Network listeners from one of my favorite companies, and that is audible.com. Audible.com is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, sports, and so much more. Audible titles play on your iPhone, your Kindle, your Android, or more than 500 different devices that you can listen anytime, anywhere. My wife and I love Audible books. We've been a member of Audible since 2004 and have listened to over 100 books uh, with Audible. 
What horse person, you know, who has time as a horse person to sit down and to read a book anymore? Yet I found the time to listen to books on Audible. When I'm not listening to podcasts while I'm riding, cleaning stalls, or at the gym, or driving, I'm listening to Audible books. And for the listeners of the Horse Radio Network, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash hrn. That's audibletrial.com slash hrn for Horse Radio Network. And you can download your free audiobook and get your 14-day free trial today. If you can't remember that, just check out our website and you'll find a link to it right there. Enjoy your book. We know you will. All right. I'm uh, here with Gil Merrick. And uh, Gil is a former USEF High Performance Dressage Director. And uh, what's also kind of fun is he's from my area up in Cleveland. And we were just communicating over email this morning about how both of us knew this a trainer and worked with Lewis and Lewis and Howard Lewis up in Cleveland. So I didn't know that, Gil. That that was really fun to know and learn about you. That was interesting to read your email. And, I, you know, we didn't share names of the of the places we both rode and the different things we did. And as soon as we did, it clicked on about uh, 10 different levels. So it was a nice exchange. Yeah, it really was. I was pretty excited about that. But I'm so excited to have you on the show as well. And I'd like to kind of talk to you about a couple of things. And I guess the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is how do you think a team approach um, really to help build our paradressage sport? Because we're really trying to develop our sport further. Well, um, you know, when uh, Hope... Han shared with me the information about the National Paradressage Training Symposium uh, that's coming up mm-hmm. at the end of May and mm-hmm. said that it was going to focus on this team approach. It resonated with me on a lot of different levels, and probably the first one was uh, being able to uh, serve as team leader, team leader for the U.S. dressage teams at the international events during my tenure with the uh, U.S. Equestrian mm-hmm. Federation and to watch all the different teams from all the different countries prepare themselves for the games and then certainly participate in the games. And now, because there's so much more information on the Internet, learning about kind of what they're doing between, you know, the major international events. And it all points to uh, managing themselves effectively as a team. And I don't mean just the horse and rider combinations who are going to the event the grooms who support them, the owners of the horses, certainly that's that's the core team. But when they're preparing for the events and when they're looking at how they fund themselves as a discipline so that they can continue to go to these international events, and you start to realize the, the requirements to have a team that spreads much, much broader than kind of your nucleus of going to the event, where just take the, uh, the challenge of finding the horses Thanks. that are appropriate to go to the games. That requires a, a national or even international network of people who are partnered with that focus. And mm-hmm. what we're seeing now in the able-bodied dressage, and this has been built over the last uh, three years, is uh, a real pipeline using you know the youth coach and the developing coach and the national coach and the national young horse coach. They're going to events together, and they're all basically in a, in a 24-7, 365 talent search mode. They're looking for the talented horses. They're looking for the talented riders. And so I see that as a team approach to talent search, whether it's for the riders or for the horses. And I know mm-hmm. that in the uh, para community, there's a lot of that being built out now in partnership with the therapeutic riding centers and with the uh, <clears throat> veterans programs. So it all calls for well-organized, highly effective teams. Mm-hmm. And how did you how did you do this as a team leader back in you know back in the years that you were the team leader in 2006 and 2007? What were you doing specifically to help build um, build the team for for able body dressage? Well, I think a lot of what goes on, and uh, gosh, Ann Gribbins was a great coach to me uh, during that time, and that was before she took on the position that she uh, just wrapped up last year, and she said to me having, of course, competed internationally for the U.S., she said, Gil, there's a very interesting dynamic that's going to go on, that these horse and rider combinations are working for years to get the kind of qualifying scores, uh, to get their FEI minimum requirements, to get themselves to a selection trial, to do well at the selection trial, and be in the top group of four or five horse rider combinations that actually get named to the team. She said, 
all the way up to that point, it's almost the rider as an individual trying to create this kind of success. Now, they certainly have a team around them. They have their families and they have their trainers and, the, and they have the, the, the farriers and the vets and, and the grooms and everybody who comes together to help that happen. But it's kind of their individual team going through a years-long process to get ready to go to a selection trial and then be named to the team. At the point they're named to the team, and this is where Ann's coaching was so great, she said, every horse, every rider on the team is fully aware that they're going to go, let's say it's to the Olympic Games, and they're going to be competing for their country. And everybody's score matters. It's a team effort. All the riders locked at the hip, they're a team. She said, Mm -hmm. the dynamic changes up a little bit, though, after the team competition when it moves into the individual, because some riders drop out and not everybody moves forward. And she said, and then they kind of go back into the individual team approach to what they're doing, even though they're certainly representing the country and, and, and winning medals for their country. She said, just pay attention. She said, it's very easy for the whole team to start to break apart a little bit. And I said, well, you know, what would I do about that? And she said, well, that the challenge is how you build the strength of the team leading up to the event. And mm-hmm. a lot of it is how each individual rider relates to the team coach or the team manager or the people who are, who are there doing the support function and reminding people on a regular basis all through this process, you know, the leading up to a selection trial, selecting the team, training and going to the games, that can take over two months sometimes. So the work gets to be building the relationships between all the different people who are on the team so that everybody's very clear what the focus is, what the intended outcome is, what the plan is to make it happen, and that everybody understands their individual role in that and how they're contributing to what the team's doing. So that um, sometimes is as simple as organizing how people have their meals together <laughs> you know, when, you're, when you're preparing for one of these events so that somebody's not disconnected from the group because um, – They'd rather sit maybe on their own and uh, in a restaurant and, and not be part of the group. The challenge then is to say, okay, the athletes need their time on their own, they, and a lot of athletes need a lot of that time on their own, and right. there are certain things that have to happen as a group dynamic. And I think, you know, I don't want to be cliche about this because it's, God knows it gets enough uh, airtime, but it, it does boil down to the communication that goes on within yeah. the team members and just being clear and saying, this is downtime. Everybody's on their own. Go use that mm-hmm. time the way you need to. But at 7.30, we're all convening here, and here's why we're convening, and here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Gil, this is Susan, and um, I was on the 2010 um, U.S. Paraweg team, and I've also been involved in other teams outside of paradressage sport, either you know skiing or softball or other sports, and um I totally hear what you're saying as far as creating, you know, more communication and a team um, like atmosphere, even though we're in an individual sport. Um, that's something that I've seen we've really struggled with in the para world, in part because there are not as many of us across the country. And then because we are across the country, for instance, I'm in California, yeah. you know, there are a lot of other of my team members on the East Coast. Um but one one thing I do notice coming out of other teams, uh, for instance, um, the Canadian team, that, you know, is that there is more of a team mentality. Their um, their country affiliate helps them as a team. They've selected, uh, you know, top riders that then the the country affiliate assists. Do you think that's something, you know, I don't know what your experience is, you know, if that was helpful for the able-bodied riders, but do you think that's, you know, a direction that the para riders could go where there's an actual distinction between the national riding program and the high-performance riding program? Well, I think the what needs to be clear is that um, how the pipeline is developed so that the people who are participating in the national program understand, and I, I hope shared with us a PowerPoint presentation that did a phenomenal job of outlining how the athlete development program works, the role of the national groups, how you make your way into an elite uh, uh, athlete status, and what kind of programs are available there. So I think I'm going to circle back to what I was saying. My answer is yes, and that's a key to it is as the para community expands the coaching body, as far as people who are individual coaches, people who might be coaching on a, on a clinician basis, 
and then having a developing coach and then certainly having the, the high-performance coach and making sure that everything that they're doing, I mentioned before, you know, the, the uh, talent search for the horses and being able to identify the right horses, that the leadership of all that is coming from, you know, the USDEA partnered with the USEF, partnered with the high-performance director, um, partnered with the coaches, that that body kind of sets the tone for this is a team effort. And then in working with, you know, as the, as the body of coaches expands, make sure they understand how all that works, and then you bring them on board. And because I see that's where I started off by saying I watch other countries and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And there's, I would say, if you measured it, the countries who are the most successful in, in growing the discipline of para and the results that they're achieving at the events, it's directly linked to their effectiveness in building these teams and, and teams mm-hmm. that, that address what you brought up at first, which was our geographical challenge. You know, it's a small right. community that's widely yeah. dispersed. And boy, is that a challenge. Even the, the suggestion you made of, of um, sort of scouting or talent searching, I mean, I can see where that could be a really useful role in our country just because it's so big and we don't know really what's out there. Um, no. So, you know, more communication and, and, um, and, and more organization on that front could really play a vital role. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, as the, as the teams uh, become more mature and they understand that it is a team and that this is a national effort that, that, that needs to be coordinated and that, that the communication has to be coordinated, I know, because I travel around the able-bodied dressage community all over the country, and I would bet the majority of people who are very serious in the able-bodied dressage aren't aware of the unique requirements for the horses in the para program and that many mm-hmm. of those horses are donated, and what that means and how that all works and what kind of horses are really good candidates for this. Because my mm-hmm. feeling is that as the communication expands around that, we're going to see more and more people standing up and going, oh, my gosh, I have a horse like that. Yeah. He could have another job now, and he could go do that. You know, I can't – he's not doing the Grand Prix anymore, but by God, he could certainly uh, do his job at a different level and, and would probably be perfect. Um, I just – and that boils down to education and communicating that, communicating that out so people understand how are the teams, you know, how do they get access to horses and who owns those horses and how are the expenses paid and how does all that work. So, again, generating uh, that communication from a team that understands that's part of our mission. We need to educate the, the community on how this all works. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have a symposium coming up, and I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, our, you know, helping that pipeline. We have a symposium in Maine coming up. It's open to auditors and it's open to riders to still apply for, to, to register for. And you're going to be a part of that. And what is so important about a, a symposium like this where we're bringing all these people in? Maybe you can explain to our audience um, what we are actually doing at the symposium and who we're bringing in. Uh, I would be happy to do that. First off, um, this is the, the um, epitome of building teams and, and getting a unified message and having a strategy, and that is, we all live on the internet and we do the emailing and we can have conference calls and those are all incredibly valuable tools, but there's nothing mm-hmm. like be bringing people from around the country together at a venue. And in this case, May 29th and 30th are the, it's the train the trainer workshop. And then it's followed by two days of uh, rider symposium. Mm-hmm. And if you just kind of, if you look at, for instance, the, the clinicians, uh, Hanukkah Garrison, who's an FEIO judge. She's an Olympo, Olympic technical delegate, and she comes from Holland, and, and many people in the para community are familiar because she's so generous with her time mm-hmm. over here. You have Catherine Haddad Stoller. She's one of our top international dressage competitors and trainers, and she's now uh, back in the United States. Uh, we lost her to Europe there for a number of years. And uh, <laughs> she's participating, as is uh, Clive Milkins, who's uh, the 2012 Paralympic gold medal team coach for Great Britain. So you have just this, yeah. this great body of people who are coming in as clinicians. And then you take the leadership from the U.S. Uh, PEA. Hope Hand is the president of that organization and will be lecturing there. We have uh, uh, Laura Dow, who's a fundraising and marketing expert, who's coming to the event, as well as Tina Wentz, a national classifier and also a U.S. PEA board member. And Susan Grant, who's a licensed occupational therapist and a hippotherapy a clinical specialist, mm-hmm. along with Janet uh, Smaldone, who's uh, also a licensed physical therapist and uh, hippotherapy clinical specialist. So you bring all these people together and you, feature, you focus on training the trainers, 
training the riders and having all these opportunities for dialogue and for hands-on learning. Now, these are you know, horse mm-hmm. and rider combinations in the ring. Um, it's a it's a big investment as far as the participants. You know, there are travel expenses involved and 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 uh, you know time out of our our calendars to attend. But I have no question that a lot is going to come out of the symposium as far as this was a very valuable use of everyone's time. How do we build on this? You know, what do we now as a team of people who just experience this, how do we take it forward and, and, and go to the next level with this? And I'd like to switch gears a little bit, and I also wanted to ask you a little bit about horseshow.com because I know that's been in the works for a couple years, and you guys have a, a few shows running on there. What, what are you doing with that lately? What's going on there? Well, we're excited now that we are we have our affiliation with the U.S. Paraquestrian Association, and um, since we started that conversation, uh, we've, uh, as a company, Horsa.com's received a license from the FEI to use all of their uh, tests, the dressage tests, on our website. And uh, what we're offering right now, our website provides access to experts, whether they're clinicians or judges or coaches, uh, to people who might not otherwise have access. And that's, of course, the beauty of the Internet. And the key in our in our educational offering is that someone uh, can make a video of them training. Maybe it's at their home training facility. And these are shorter videos. They're five, six, seven minutes. And put the video up on the site. And then we host clinics. And right now, uh, we just opened one with Christy Wasaki. And Christy mm-hmm. will watch the video that's been submitted. And it could be a video of a, of a test that was written at a competition or it could be a training video from home. And she will then record a voiceover commentary in real time as she watches the video. So it's like she's talking to you and evaluating the ride. So mm-hmm. that you can get instant feedback from somebody who has the, the credentials of, of Christy Wasaki in a very short period of time. And, and riders can do this as often as they like. Um, uh, our commitment to the para community, we're doing this for free. So riders can submit the videos. There's, there's no cost to do it. And the next event we're going to host will be where you can ride one of the tests. It will be a ride-a-test clinic. Put that video up on the site, and one of the international judges will provide a full scorecard for the ride and the voiceover commentary. So you'll get a scorecard. Mm-hmm. You'll see how it would have scored in the ring and then be coached by one of the experts who many riders might otherwise have no access to and no way to to uh, achieve them. So that's kind of the main thing that we're doing on the site now. That's our focus is the, is the educational component of the site. And we have other we have a forum there. We'd love to see the para community get active in, in discussing different training points and, and get to know each other through there. Uh, and but the focus, as I say, is this this model for um, voiceover coaching from experts that people might not otherwise have access to. Well, Gil, I appreciate you coming on the show today, and thank you for your time. And I know I'll look forward to seeing you in Maine at the symposium just coming up. Well, before the end of the show, I just have a couple of news announcements coming off the printer. (laughs) And uh, the 2013 U.S. National Paradisage Training Symposium in Maine is coming up, and that's May 29th through June 1st. And uh, riders can still uh, uh, register. For it, and they can also uh, contact Hope Hand or, or Lorraine Johnson at USAF about registering for that, or they can always contact me, Lindsay at USPEA.org. Um, I also wanted to announce that Derek Perkins, who was one of our guests last week or on the show, the last time we were on the show, and he's our veteran, he qualified on NTEC Richter scale, which was Jonathan Wentz's horse, and he qualified to compete at the Paraquestrian Dressage National Championships. So uh, a little a little high five for him because we were pretty excited for him. And also we have some news in the paradriving world, the World Paradriving Championships for 2014. There's been two bids put forward to host that, and those two bids were Great Britain and Germany, and they'll have a meeting in July to decide where that's actually going to be. So it's pretty exciting for our, for our paradrivers. For, for their 2014. I'd also like to add that um, the opening date for the California Rancho Marietta Golden State Dressage CPEDI in June um, is coming up, and that will be on May 1st. So be sure to check the Golden State Dressage website, and you'll be able to find the show entries and premiums for the California CPEDI. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at dressageradio.com.
You can like us on Facebook. Just search for Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can learn more about the United States Para Equestrian Association at USPEA.org and, of course, on Facebook. <laughs> and don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And can I give a plug here? Uh, this is yeah. uh, Rolex Week, big time, biggest show of the year for the eventers. So be sure to check out this week's eventing radio show for a preview. And next week, we'll, we'll do a wrap-up show there. And also next week on Horses in the Morning, which I host uh, every morning from uh, 9 to 10.30 live at horsesinthemorning.com, we'll be doing a lot of coverage on the Run for the Roses, the Kentucky Derby, coming up next weekend. So wanted to get that plug in. And Susan, what's your website? My website is susantrevis.com. And did you really say 65 horses? Yeah. <laughs> that's way too much poop. I was thinking poop. the same thing. Yes. 65 horses. <laughs> that's just yeah, way too I, much poop is what I was thinking. That's way yeah, too much. Yeah, we, we started this business three years ago, and it's uh, tripled in size in three years. Oh my God. You know, I always had a rule as a horse husband. When you went over seven horses, the, the, the amount of work triples. When you go over yeah. 12 horses, the amount of work quadruples. When you go over yeah. 60, I don't know what happens. Uh, I, wow. Well, we don't have to ride all those 60, but... Um, no, but, but you have to clean here. up and feed them. I mean, that's, that's a lot of They're fun. here and they're cared for. <laughs> bless you, Susan. That's... So my question is, where no, does the manure go? <laughs> What'd you say? I said, my question is, it's the obvious elephant in the room, where does all the manure go? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, 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 we have 120 acres and we reuse it. Okay, so you spread it. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we spread it and we create, um, we actually create really nice trails with the manure and the shaving. So we have really good hacking trails that we can cross train on. Amazing. Great. Yeah, if you come out to California for the Sea Teddy, um, Lindsay, I'll, I'll give you a tour. Our place is pretty cool. Oh, I would love that. That would be, that would be great. <laughs> I would love that. And Glenn and Sam have had standing invitations for three years <laughs> no. <laughs> no bust there <laughs> the problem is every time we come out she wants to put a pitchfork in our hands and we just keep saying right, oh, right. No, no, right. <laughs> so watch that Lindsay, when you go out yeah i will did i mention did i mention we're a half hour from napa <laughs> <laughs> okay well at least we can get drunk before we get the pitchfork so that'll be... <laughs> thank you guys <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Oh, thank you. All right. See you all next week uh, with Reese and Philip. We'll be back with the dressage. Thank you. Radio. Thank you.